You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, episode 53. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, So in this podcast, we're going to answer another listener question. We thought this was a good one for a couple of different reasons. Uh, She actually had asked a a question originally on the website under one of our other blog posts, and uh, she had sent in another question. So we thought this would be a a good one to talk about. Uh, Dr. Davidson, you want to read the question? Absolutely. Yes. We love answering questions because not only does it help the person asking the question, but also everybody else out there because a lot of times we all you know, have some of the same hormonal issues. So this question in particular is from Jamie and it says, thank you for answering me. Recently, my doctor increased my bias to four milligrams twice a day. I also stopped my progesterone to see if it was making any difference and I felt exactly the same. So I have not continued it. I had a complete hysterectomy. Do you have any thoughts on taking progesterone? I was taking a compounded progesterone, 200 milligrams per day. Before my bias increase, I had my labs taking twice, once in the morning and once in the late afternoon because I feel like they were wearing off. I was correct. So she did send us a little um, snapshot of her actual labs. Her total estrogen in the morning was 112, and then later in the afternoon was 60. Her estradiol in the morning was 35, and then later in the afternoon was non-existent, less than five. And then she goes on to mention that in her blood test, she's never been able to get her estradiol above 35. So she just wanted some insight. So any new insight would be appreciated. Jamie. Uh, Well, uh, I think there's a few things going on. Uh, Certainly with the blood work, that's uh, something that we see quite often. But why don't we start talking about the progesterone? I think that's really why we wanted to highlight this one in the first place. uh, Because, you know, she's in a kind of unique category that we uh, we kind of differ on the opinion when a woman does not have her uterus anymore. Yes. So Jamie had a hysterectomy and a lot of doctors, especially gynecologists and whatnot say, if you don't have a uterus, you don't need to take progesterone. But like Dr. Mackey said, is we beg to differ on that. So yes, Jamie, I absolutely think you should take progesterone. Sure. You don't have a uterus. The reason they say take it if you have a uterus is if you take estrogen, it likes to grow the uterine lining. So you always have to pair that with progesterone to keep that lining from getting too thick and becoming a risk factor for uterine cancer. Now, so they say, hey, I have no uterus. I don't need to take progesterone, but we really do because it's not just about your uterus. Yeah, right. You still a woman still has brain. She still has uh, breast tissue, uh, and it, it's just kind of the balance to the estrogen. It's always a good idea. One of our rules uh, for hormone replacement is you never give a woman unopposed estrogen. Uh, now, just like in this case, um, or more conventionally, anyways, you know, when a woman doesn't have her uterus, it is you know fairly common to to see women taking estrogen by itself, or they might be taking like an estradiol, uh, you know, tablet or something, uh, and we just really don't agree with that. So yeah, like I said, maybe two hundred is a little bit too much, 
Uh, maybe she could go down to 100. Um, if she's really sensitive or if an, another woman is really sensitive, maybe she could go down to 75. Um, but usually uh, it's much more important when the uterus is there. But even in this case, uh, it uh, uh, you know we still think it's important. Yes. So for Jamie, yeah, 200 milligrams of oral progesterone might be a little bit high for her, but I do think going down to 100 or perhaps not any lower than 75 would be good just to balance out the estrogen. But then on a side note, which you know she doesn't go into here, is progesterone is very relaxing. It helps you stay asleep. So if you have trouble staying asleep, making sure your progesterone dose is a good level is essential. So I would say, you know, for Jamie, 75 to 100 milligrams taken in the evening should be perfect for her to balance her estrogen. Yeah. I mean, a woman in a situation like this, uh, you know, she, I think from her earlier question, she is only in her early forties. So she had a hysterectomy at a, she's in surgical menopause almost a decade, if not longer than that, you know, a little bit too soon. Uh, So more than likely when those hormones disappear like that, you know, either inevitably or from, you know, from surgery, there's going to be some sleep issues. Uh, You know, so taking some progesterone like that, even just for that, if she, uh, before I know the previous question that she had, one of her issues was sleeping. Uh, you know, so I'm not sure if that has improved or if that's, uh, uh, you know, still the same. Um, the progesterone certainly would, you know, would play a role there. And then the progesterone would also help with her mood because when people have low progesterone, but you have higher levels of estrogen, it can make you a little moody or a little defensive, a little snarky, a little irritable. So if Jamie's feeling a little bit you know, zero to 60 in terms of her patience and tolerance, then I definitely think she should take some form of estrogen. Ideally, I like I said, you know, the capsule I think would be good because it does help you stay asleep, but she does need some progesterone. Yeah. Uh, now let's uh, transition. Let's move on to the blood work. Uh, she gives a couple of numbers here. Like she did, uh, you know, she had her blood work done twice in one day. Uh, I think that's a new one. I don't think I've seen that before. Uh, so total estrogen, 112 and 60. So 112 in the morning and 60 in the afternoon. Uh, we don't usually do a total estrogen. We don't really find it to be all that necessary. The estradiol, which is the predominant form of estrogen you know, for women, uh, that one was 35.4 in the morning. And then in the afternoon, it was less than five. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I love that Jamie is so Johnny on the spot with looking at her levels and really wanting to get things balanced. But we always say don't chase the numbers. You know, a lot of people end up chasing the numbers, trying to get to a perfect number, thinking they're going to be an A student and everything's going to be perfect from there. It really depends on the symptoms. And then with the blood work, you know, you want to take that into consideration as one part of your tool in finding the right dose for you or for Jamie in this case. So you see her estradiol at 35 is a little bit low in the morning. I do say that's a little bit low. And then later in the afternoon, you know, at less than five, that's awfully low. Now, we don't know when she got her blood work. One of our key rules for patients, ideally, is when you want to get your blood work done is you want to take your hormones or apply your hormones about three to five hours before you get the blood drawn. It gives us a little bit more accuracy and it also gives us some data so that we can compare it the next time. So let's say Jamie drew her estradiol you know, one hour after she applied it. And then the next time we do her blood work, she applies it six hours after she applied, you know, six hours, you know, before her blood draw. So it doesn't really give us a good comparison. So we always try to get people to try to do it at the same time so that we can really get an idea on that numbers. But like I said, we don't want to chase the numbers. 
Yeah, right. And that, you know, that's really challenging because you want those numbers to rise. Uh, now, uh, on her previous question, which was a few months ago, she said she was taking three milligrams of bias, but she's only taking it uh, in the morning. Uh, now, in her question here, she states she's taking four milligrams twice a day. So the doctor, her doctor actually raised the dose quite a bit. You know, that's a nice increase. Uh, according to what she wrote here, she's taking eight milligrams daily. Right, now, the reason why we recommend twice a day, especially if a woman's having hot flashes and or night sweats, that half-life of estrogen is really only about 12 hours. And you can already see for, from her numbers that number is already declining, right? So that's why we encourage women to do it twice a day. Do it in the morning and then do it again roughly about 12 hours later because exactly what she's noticing here is that there's going to be a definite drop-off so that if you're only applying it once a day, either in the morning or at night, then that you're basically starting over every time you reapply that hormone. Not to mention, it's hard enough for a woman to get those blood levels to you know to go up anyways if you're only applying it once. Um, it's hard enough to do uh, to go get the blood levels to go up if you're applying it twice. It's almost impossible if you're only doing it once. So you know, four milligrams of bias in the morning is a pretty good dose. I mean, especially four milligrams twice a day. That's a total of eight milligrams. So with Jamie, I'm assuming that her biased four milligrams, the four milligrams is an 80-20 ratio where she's got, you know, 80% of it estriol and then 20% estradiol. And, and her estradiol levels are low on her in her blood work, and she's probably experiencing some low symptoms of estrogen. So I do think we would want to raise up her estrogen level or perhaps change that ratio so there's a little bit more estradiol to the estriol. Or in some cases, you actually change the base. You change the cream that they're using to a more absorbable cream. There are all compounding pharmacies have different creams and different ways to help with absorbency. So it could be an absorbency issue, or it could be a dose issue, or it could be a ratio issue. Yeah. Now, granted, like I said, uh, if this is the same Jamie when she um, sent in the first question, uh, she's in her early 40s. Uh, her hormone levels are supposed to be, you know, quite a bit higher than 35.4. 35.4 is a typical men menopausal number, you know, so it's no wonder why she doesn't feel very good. You know, so women go through these uh, hysterectomies uh, 10 years too early for menopause, and it's like taking the rug out from underneath them. So of course, she doesn't feel as good as she could because she doesn't have any hormone left. Uh, she probably, uh, we don't know exactly what she had the hysterectomy for, you know, more than likely it's probably a fibroid issue or some heavy bleeding or, or endometriosis. endometriosis, right? There's, you know, those are usually the common reasons. And I'm sure that there was probably uh, enough suffering with that. To, you know, to, to come to that decision to have the hysterectomy, which is totally fine. But now it sets women up for this completely separate issue or this, you know, uh, sets them up for like a whole nother problem. Uh, and trying to get those blood levels, like I said, don't chase the numbers. Um, this is where we would say it is completely dependent on how the patient feels, how the woman feels. The number, you know, we have lots of patients that they feel fine, but their numbers are still really low, right? Sometimes they don't even give, their estradiol doesn't even get above 50, um, let alone where hers is. It doesn't even get much higher than that, but they feel pretty good. Symptom relief is you know, is been achieved, right? So now the, the, the amount on the blood test doesn't really matter as much. Yeah, because we always say less is more. So less for the efficiency or effectiveness for the symptoms is ideal. And a lot of women that are postmenopausal or after the age of 50 do better on lower levels of, 
of estrogen and having their lower levels in their bloodstream. Now for Jamie, being a young female, that estrogen is way too low. So we want to have that a little higher. So no wonder she probably doesn't feel well because her body was not ready for that estrogen to drop this early in, in her life. Granted, it was probably needed because she might have had endometriosis, like you said, a fibroid, some cysts or something. So it was probably necessary to have that hysterectomy, but her body went into complete shock with having her estrogen go from high to absolutely nothing. So I do feel like her estrogen probably is a little bit low, but you got to finesse that, like I said, either changing the ratio of the estradiol to the estriol, changing the base, or you know maybe even raising the dose. So I do think it probably needs to be raised. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, in this case in general, a woman in her early 40s, total hysterectomy, and we don't really know exactly the backstory there as to why, um, but the fact that she doesn't have a uterus, this is a candidate that um, we will sometimes put a woman on rhythmic dosing. And my response to her on her, her first question was actually to consider that because, again, she's 10 years too early. She doesn't feel very good because there's no hormone left. The rhythmic dosing actually does a very good job because the doses are quite a bit higher, uh, does a very good job of raising that estradiol level to Sometimes it goes any, you know, well above 100 to 150. Um, and we have some patients, their numbers are 350 plus. Um, but that's the goal of using a rhythmic dosing um, strategy because we're trying to maximize on day 12 of the female cycle. It's a 28-day cycle. We're trying to maximize that estradiol level on day 12 um, because that's how it would normally be when a woman was still menstruating. Uh, and that is uh, you know, a pretty good way of achieving that you know, that subjective feeling, it makes, you know, you know, let's be honest, estrogen is what makes a woman a woman. The more of it she has, more than, you know, as long as there's no disease present like fibroids or endometriosis, uh, having enough uh, estrogen is going to make her feel pretty good. I absolutely agree. I think doing a rhythmic dosing with Jamie would be excellent because like you said, you're changing the hormones for pretty consistently throughout a 28-day cycle. So you're mimicking what the hormones would be in a female that had their ovaries and their ovaries were pumping out the proper hormones. So I think in Jamie's case, that would be something for her to consider. And and definitely, you know, I'm going to go right back to it. She should absolutely take the progesterone. Yeah, right. Uh, now, the so just a little backstory there or a little bit understanding. So what she's doing now and what most women do is what they call static dosing. Same dose every day. When you're either in menopause or have gone through surgical uh, surgical menopause, the, the basically the hormones kind of flatline a little bit, uh, and hormone replacement is just a, a way to raise the baseline to deal with the symptoms. You know, hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, whatever the case might be. Rhythmic dosing literally kind of restores the female cycle, both of estrogen and, and progesterone. You know, because that's how women normally function for a good majority of their life. And the one reason, and women ask, well, which one's more popular? Static dosing by far outpaces rhythmic dosing, probably 10 to 1, right? Uh, rhythmic dosing, I think, is very unique. And the one thing that usually turns most women off, especially if they're already in menopause, is the fact that they're going to have a period again. Um, women that are already in their 50s do not, once they're ready to stop having, you know, when stop cycling, the last thing they want is that to keep going. Now, there are some women that have no problem with that, and they usually respond very well. That's why we thought in a case like this when she doesn't have a, you know, she doesn't have her uterus anymore. She's not going to menstruate anyways. In some ways, the menstruation part is a good gauge to see how things are going and how well um, things are balanced based on, you know, the characteristics of the cycle. But now the fact that she's had a hysterectomy, she doesn't even have to deal with that part of it. And now she can benefit from having those higher estrogen levels in the first place. 
Absolutely. I completely agree. And and a lot of women do like the rhythmic dosing, but like you said, I could probably think of a handful of females that are post 50 that want to have a period again, but some people don't mind it as long as they feel good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, definitely a decision, um, but it does, uh, most doctors are not aware of the rhythmic dosing, right? It's, it's kind of a, you know, to say the least, a little controversial, but because it's rhythmic, so you have this rise and fall to estrogen, this rise and fall to progesterone, and it basically makes a woman have a period. That's what makes it such a, a good idea in some cases. Not all, uh, you know, you have to be the right candidate, but this one for sure, well, this is a, you know, one that I would consider um, suggesting and maybe recommending a, a rhythmic dose for this for, for this type of case. So thank you, Jamie, for sending us this question. And since it looks like you don't mind having your blood drawn, please go have the next time you have your blood drawn, apply your hormone cream three to five hours before you do your blood draw, and then send us your numbers. Yeah. Uh, now, one thing about the the blood numbers, and uh, we uh, we go to a conference every year in Las Vegas. A medical conference. And I heard an answer from one of the doctors that speaks there most of the, you know, almost every year. She's very good. And she said, uh, kind of relating to this issue, because a lot of doctors try to chase the numbers, right? They try to get them to a certain level. They kind of, you know, keep raising the dose and trying to keep, get that, you know, that estradiol level or the testosterone, or the progesterone or whatever number it might be um, to a target uh, range. Uh, and she said that the the hormone itself, in this case, estradiol, really only stays in the blood for about three to five seconds. So when you're applying the transdermal cream into your, you know, into your skin on your thighs, um, we don't recommend rubbing it into your arms. Um, that's something that will skew the numbers. If you put it on your forearm or your upper arm, and then you get a blood draw, it's going to it's going to elevate that number kind of artificially. We don't really recommend that. So you apply it to your thigh. Uh, you. Uh, go to uh, by the time you even get to the lab, like you said, there's a peak to that, and then and as uh, Jamie noticed, uh, you know, in her little experiment, the numbers are already kind of tapering off because the cells want the estrogen inside the cells. It's not really supposed to stay in the blood that long. Um, so as soon as it's there, the body wants to soak it up right away. The cells want to soak up that estrogen right away, uh, and that uh, that's why the blood levels always seem like they're just not. You're not making any progress on that side. But you still have estrogen. The estrogen's in the cell. It's stimulating the receptor. It just may not show up in the extracellular fluid. That's what Dr. Mackey's trying to say. Yeah, right. Uh, and that's why the rhythmic dosing can sometimes be a, a great way to get those levels up there because of the dosage. Uh, when you're using the same dose every day for women that have a uterus, uh, once you get a certain point, uh, you might not really want to do that as much. That's why the rhythmic dosing might be you know, a better idea. So uh, anything else to add on this one, Dr. Davidson? No, no. This was was great. Thank you, Jamie, for sending your question to us. Okay. Uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.